Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Billboard Charter Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. This is where we look at why what's on the charts, is on the charts. I guess we should at least a uh, quick mention of the Oscars. Trevor, so we talked so much about the Grammys last uh, few weeks. Feels like we should talk about the Oscars. Any highlights for you? Yeah, certainly not the, the pinnacle of the music industry per se, but still uh, musically relevant. Um, I actually thought that it was interesting because it felt like the Oscars the way the sort of narrative had gone for the year was really something that they were supposed to fall on their face. You know, there had been the fiasco, of course, with Kevin Hart and, and the host, and he's again a host, and okay, we'll go without a host, and then all the stuff about presenting the awards where the commercial breaks, and they had to reverse decision on that. Then, like, the popular film category that, you know, to make sure Black Panther got an Oscar, and then they had to double back on that. So it felt like, whoo, this Oscars is about to be an M-E-S-S. And I actually thought it turned out pretty well. I mean, I thought the no-host thing worked, like probably moved it along quicker. Yeah, I mean they still went over time, and I know they were aiming for three hours. Went about maybe closer to three fifteen. But yeah, without the host, it just felt you almost kind of wonder, you know, why have a host? Because without some of the gimmicks and some of the, you know, the momentum kind of kept going on. I, th- I actually thought maybe it was a little too fast by the end. Um, but overall, yeah, I thought I thought it went really well. I mean, um, a lot of historic things happening. This with particularly a lot of African Americans winning. Um, in some categories that they normally do not win in. We got Regina, we got Mahershala, we got Rami. So, you know, people of color had a good uh, acting showcase. That Olivia Coleman surprise was actually something kind of nice, too. I mean, of course, you know, Glenn Close needs her Oscar, needs an Oscar, but that kind of gave like a last-minute jolt when everything seemed to be kind of going, you know, pretty pretty uh, steady. So overall, yeah, I really, really thought it was actually a pretty good show. And uh, musically, obviously Shallow, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper getting uh, most of the buzz. Great performance. Uh, obviously it won. No surprise there. Yeah. I mean, it felt like, I don't know, I guess maybe given that they didn't win at the Grammys, not that I really thought it was going to be in danger, but I was like, you know, maybe this isn't, who knows who, maybe something might, you know, might, might, might happen. Um, the only thing that got me weird about the Shallow thing was how their performance was not introduced. You know, it was like some award or some speech or something. And then they kind of like lifted that curtain you saw from the back. And then all the stagehands rushed to put out this the piano. And then they just walked up. This I thought that was kind of like, oh, OK, I guess this is kind of interesting. 
one thing I noticed more than, than anything else. What do you think I noticed? Uh, See if you've been listening to the podcast. Do you really want to give me that, 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 that open-ended question? The music they played when people spoke too long, their speeches got cut off. The music they played, just like the Grammys, sounded like it was from decades ago. No innovation in the music that plays people off from speeches. I'm so glad that was your takeaway from the Academy Awards, the highlight of film and achievement. So you, so, okay. 2020 Oscars and Grammys. Uh, I expect, I expect changes. Okay. Well, well, listen up here. Emmys producers, you got your work cut out for you. Gary wants something, you know, a little, a little more pep in his step. Who who would you like to, um, if you had to pick a producer, let's say, to, to craft the sound of your exit music, would you, is, are we talking, um, are we talking a take Heath? Are we talking, um, something more in the, um, Pharrell Williams vein? Are we going where? If you're talking my favorite producers, it's probably gonna be someone in the folk world. So it's probably gonna be even softer, quieter than it is now. Wow. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't pick. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, you're not going to be the music supervisor anytime soon. Sorry. All right. Uh, This week on the podcast, more Ariana Grande. After a record week uh, last week, we're going to talk more about Ariana on the Hot 100, plus uh, a debut coming up. uh, We're going to hear in the top 10 of the Hot 100 this week. And our special guest is Sean Ross, Vice President, Music and Programming at Edison Research, the all-around radio expert. We're going to hit a lot of topics uh, with Sean. Uh, We're going to start with what's going on at pop radio where songs are hanging around really a lot longer than ever lately. Khalid and Normani, Love Lies, and Dua Lipa's New Rules, they've both set the record 45 weeks for the most time ever on Billboard's Pop Songs Airplay chart, and that's both been in the last year. So I'm going to find out, is, is pop radio slowing down? What's going on there? Why is that happening? So we'll get into that and a lot more with Sean coming up. Right now, let's start with this week's Top 10 on the Billboard Top 100. 10, 9, 8. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Number ten. It's a moment when I show up, It's a moment when I show up, got saying wow. Number nine. Number six. I want to raise your spirits. I want to see you smile. No, that means I'll have to leave. Number five. Please me, baby. Turn around and just tease me, baby. You know what I want and what I need, baby. Let me hear you say, please. Let me hear you say. Number four.
For seven with seven rings, the Ariana Grande song spending its fifth week at number one here on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, I'm sure last week, if you are an Ariana Grande fan, you saw that she had the numbers one, two, and three song on the Billboard Hot 100 last week. Uh, the first time and only time anybody has done that since the Beatles back in 1964. The only other act to have the top three in a single week. Uh, huge week for Ariana, of course, with the album Thank You Next, also debuting at number one on the Billboard 200. It's number one again this week for a second week, so also big for her for her first album to spend more than one week at number one. And if you're a late night fan, you may have seen on James Corden's TV show that Ariana was on the show that night uh, that this news broke, and so they even had like a little Billboard cake that they brought out for her that had like four sections with like the album and then the numbers one two and three and they chatted a bit about the record and um so really you know four to obviously we'll be celebrating here at billboard but four to sort of go beyond the borders and hit the late night circuit and for her to you know be on there that same night what timing you know that's that's really lucky so it was really cool all right so obviously we're talking a lot of ariana grande not just uh this week and not even just the life of seven rings but really this year i mean with thank you next and the huge album and all the buzz around her. Um, interestingly enough, I got to thank a, an old friend of ours, Gary, named Kevin Kenny yeah. for this idea. Some of you may remember him from a, a lot of his on-air personality, um, a host here at Billboard. And he kind of got me thinking as he talked about, we're kind of reaching what has recently become a very critical point in the year. Um, we're moving into the first week of March on the charts this week, this week's charts that are out uh, reflective of a March 2nd date. And oddly enough, the last six years, the top Hot 100 song of the year has already been number one on the chart. You'd have to go back to 2012 with Gautier, someone that I used to know, which was the last time uh, that song, more of a May-June hit, that the number one song of the year was not already on there. If you Last year, of course, was God's Plan, 2018. In 2017, it was Shape of You, Ed Sheeran. 2016, Love Yourself, Justin Bieber. 2015, we got Uptown Funk with Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars. 2014, number one song of the year was Happy by Pharrell Williams, which hit number one March 8th, so we'll give it a little wiggle room. 2013, we're going back some more. Thrift Shop by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis and Wands. 2012 is Gautier and Kimbra, somebody that I used to know. So when you sort of look at the Hot 100 spread of the, the top hits this year, Without Me Halsey, Thank You Next, Ariana, Sunflower, Post Malone, Sway Lee, Seven Rings. Is the number one song of the year already under our nose and we just don't know it yet? Well, 
Kevin could still be right, but what if it's Halsey's without me and not seven rings? I mean, the longevity is still there, yeah, even though it was two weeks of number one, which, you know, isn't sort of a massive total like the ones we've seen from Uptown Funk or or Shape of You or anything like that. But number two on the Hot 100 again this week. It had been number two patiently. It had its non-consecutive weeks at number one. So it's been a, a real strong top five contender for a while. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like the um, there's still a lot of momentum and a long way down for that song. So... Yeah, that could be one of those things, too, where you, you know, it's not really a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. Kevin put in an invoice for a little more billboard work. I, I was really surprised when, I, I mean, I thought, I knew the past couple of years he had mentioned those, you know, examples with, with Drake and with uh, Ed Sheeran. But going all the way back to 2012, I didn't realize it was that sort of, you know, lined up and locked up. Well, it, part of it's obviously logical because it's uh, start of the year to the end of the year cumulative points. So obviously, if you're going to be out earlier in the year you have a better chance of being number one. So part of it is is just the way the math works. All right. Also in the top 10, we heard back at number five, a debut for Cardi B and Bruno Mars. Uh, number five with Please Me. Uh, it's their second shared top 10, top five hit after well, this song just last year. got to number three last year and now they're back with please me uh i find it kind of interesting uh, when acts that aren't artificial duos uh suddenly start teaming up and have multiple number ones it's one thing uh you know lady gaga and bradley cooper although they actually do have other songs uh, together than than shallow but uh it's when acts just realized maybe they have some sort of a connection and it works yeah let's try it again so uh cardi and bruno multiple top tens now on the hot 100 they uh, join a, a pretty good list of acts who've done that before we're uh not official duos but they keep teaming up and they get multiple hits uh eminem and rihanna did that with these songs just gonna stand there and hear me cry well that's all right because i love the way you lie one sheep, two sheep, cooing, cuckoo, and kooky is cool key. But I'm actually weirder than you think. Cause I'm, I'm friends with the monster, the son of my bed. Get along with the voices inside of my head. You try and save me, stop holding your breath. And you think I'm crazy, yeah, you think I'm crazy. Well, that's not fair. Rihanna is uh, really a queen of collaborations. She also has multiple top tens with Drake. This girl, say my name, say my name. Wear it out. It's getting hot, crack a window, air it out. I can get you through a mighty long day. Soon as you go, the text that I write is gonna say. More Ariana Grande, she and Nicki Minaj. They've had two top tens together. Yeah. 
hands in the puddle, it's Nikki full throttle, it's oh, oh. Swimming in the crowd, we winning in the lotto, we dipping in the powder blue. I've been there all night. Going way back to the 80s, uh, two of the biggest acts ever, Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney, got a number two hit, and six week number one. So in other chart happenings, this week was shift gears and head over to the Billboard 200. So we mentioned earlier, Ariana Grande, number one, once again this week with Thank You Next. Um, also some big news for our friend Drake, not number one this week, but still a very impressive debut, number five for the So Far Gone mixtape. Now, if you remember, all, all the kids back on the college campuses were in their feelings about this one back in 2009 when it first dropped. This was way before Drake. Anybody knew really who Drake was. Uh, his first project was later turned a bit of it into an EP. So far gone, what really put him on the map with Best I Ever Had and sort of things out there. So 10 years later, we finally get the commercial release of it uh, at the end of last week to celebrate that 10-year anniversary 10 years after this album first hit the streets, it is top 10 on the Billboard 200, coming in at number 5 this week. That's, I mean, Drake Drake out here out-charting people with a 10-year-old mixtape. That that's just the impact that Drake has right now. So um, a lot of people are really excited. That's on streaming services. I mean, some of those songs you, I don't know, had poor quality bootlegs on. You can now get that crisp audio and Drake can add another top 10 to his collection. So win-win for everybody there. And fun fact, Gary, believe it or not, <laughs> it's I guess maybe you want to talk about people who you saw, that meme that was going around before they blew up. Um, I don't know if it really counts because they did bring him like, to a school festival, but Drake in 2010 was like our spring concert headliner. This was before Thank Me Later came out, so we didn't even have a full-length album out at this point in time. Best I ever had was like already a well-established hit and, and songs like Over and Successful people already knew, but he was not, you know, close to the Drake that anyone thought would necessarily be this huge streaming collaborative monster. So just fun when I think of that so far gone season, it's like, oh yeah, like I remember being like, you know, 10 feet from Drake who's performing like on a little stage. Where was this? It was uh, back in Vandy freshman year like they like you know every school has their sort of spring concert uh, i mean this was just like on the on the school lawn you know probably just a maybe a couple thousand people did you meet him did you talk to him no i no i didn't get a chance to you know i who was i back then uh you and drake back then i was gonna say who, just who knew just like drake exactly uh, like yeah i was not on my way yet and he thought that yeah he's really gonna be absolutely huge no, I mean, and not to, that's not to say a knock on Drake or anything, but, you know, he hadn't had a full length album yet. So, 
you know, it wasn't like he had had any sort of numbers or had been touring a lot even to sort of get that kind of kind of footing under his belt. Um, and, you know, when we see people, you know, sort of rise and fall, you, you know, they're here and hot for a year, a season and, and can't sustain it. And even if you thought Drake was going to be big and be a star, I mean, just the level of stardom that he's gotten to with, you know, we see streaming records broken every five seconds and, and the Hot 100 chart hits record is very much in danger of being broken as well. I mean, I, you know, I guess uh, how, how could you have foreseen any of that? If, if if I had foreseen that and not gotten backstage to meet him and sign him and work with him or anything, then I, that's a fool on me. All right, on other charts, uh, that song is the new number one on Billboard's Pop Songs Radio Airplay chart, Eastside, by Benny Blanco, Halsey, and Khalid. 31 weeks to number one, which, over six months for the song to get to number one. Uh, It's Benny Blanco's first number one on the chart as an artist, his first entry as an artist, but uh, one of the most successful artists in the chart's entire history. This is his 16th number one as a writer and a producer, so... 16 number ones all started uh, with his first hit back in late 2008, 2009. Uh, He co-wrote and co-produced this song for Britney Spears. So from Circus to East Side, Benny Blanco been all over the pop songs airplay chart uh, also a record on country airplay this week beautiful crazy she can't help but amaze me the way that she dances ain't afraid to take chances and wears her heart on her sleeve yeah she's crazy she's crazy she's crazy number one for Luke Combs, Beautiful Crazy. It's his fifth number one. What's really key about that is it's his fifth number one from the start of his career. His first five hits have all gone to number one on Country Airplay. He's the first artist ever to do that. So Florida Georgia Line and Brooks and Dunn, they both sent their first four singles to number one. So new record, Luke Combs, uh, five for five, number one on Country Airplay with Beautiful Crazy. I like that you Let's do well, one more record for Lovely the Band Broken. Spends its 66th week on the Alternative Songs airplay chart. That's a new record. Passes at the 65 week run of Rise Against Savior back in 2009, 2010. So, uh, yeah, new longevity record uh, for Broken. Uh, song's still crossing over, too. It's still hitting new heights as, as old, relatively, as it is at this point. Uh, it's up to number eight this week, a uh, new high on the adult contemporary chart. Uh, got to number one on the adult pop songs chart back in November. So a uh, huge alternative hit, crossed over to pop. It's still, uh, still going in the top ten on the alternative songs chart. New record, 66th week on the chart. All right, so a lot of things happening on radio this week. A lot of records being broken. Probably a wonderful time to check in 
about all things radio and specifically looking back at that pop songs record and really the historic happenings on the pop songs chart between Eastside, Love Lies, and New Rules. So we are going to dig into that and some more with our industry insider interview this week with our friend Sean Ross, the vice president of music and programming at Edison Research. We're going to get into all things what's happening with pop and once again, of course, we cannot talk about pop music without talking about its reigning queen. We'll discuss Ariana Grande and many more hits coming up. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Sean Ross, thank you so much for coming back on the Billboard Chappie Podcast. Yeah, you bet, Terry. Uh, so let's, uh, among the different things we want to ask you about, let's start with uh, all this record longevity going on at pop radio lately. So uh, just to name a few uh, songs, uh, Khalid and Normani's Love Lies just tied the record for the most weeks, 45, almost a year, uh, ever spent on Billboard's pop songs airplay chart. Uh, and it just tied the mark, uh, set only a year ago by Dua Lipa's New Rules, uh, we've got uh, Young Blood by Five Seconds of Summer, 37 weeks uh, as of last week, still on the chart. Uh, East Side by Benny Blanco, Halsey, and Khalid. Uh, format's never been the slow, Sean. What's going on at Top 40 Radio these days? These days, Top 40 is a format with 12 to 15 currents. You, you look at the charts, you get down to number 20, and it's going to be songs you've probably never actually heard on the radio unless you work in the business. I think of growing up when WABC in New York it famously played 14 records, and now all of the format is WABC, super tight. It uh, used to be that after you know, after the power songs, the second most important songs on the radio station were the developing currents, the bees. Now the second most important songs on a radio station are typically the power recurrents. That said, there's always been a certain type of record going back as far as I can remember that takes forever, and it's typically a ballad, and it's typically a non-superstar artist. So, you know, I Like Me Better fits in with that. Love Lies, you know, 
certainly a star artist, but not an automatic at radio and the kind of subtle record that takes a while to grow on people. Dua Lipa, not a ballad, but you know, but not a star artist. And you know, the record, it surprised me. Radio took that long to recognize, but certainly one that took a long time to kick in. So it's almost like records on the country chart. They have you know, certain records have 15 weeks where they're basically just in line to start getting airplay. Is it at least partly radio realizing that uh, yeah, streaming really is our competitor now, and we just better be playing the hits more than ever. I think radio has thought for a while that if it couldn't be first, it would instead be the arbiter of true hit dumb. But you know, there are a lot of records coming from, you know, coming from streaming, you know, EDM ballads, and radio is doing its best to figure out what's worthwhile in there and you know not only are they figuring out long after the streaming story and you know then they're holding on to them forever but it takes a while to go through those records and figure out what will work for you even if it seems like people who listen online figured it out months ago uh, from what you see uh, sean since you're so up close on on uh, research is is research even more than ever uh, deciding what's played or what isn't played on Top 40 Radio? Is that at all playing in even more to uh, slow down at Top 40 Radio? In some cases, I actually think it's because some stations might have less access to call out. They only get call out every other week or, you know, or once a month. And so if a song is subtle... And it's the kind of song that takes forever to develop. It really takes forever to develop. And if it takes a long time to go away, then it really takes a long time to go away. And it's a flip side for songs that don't survive the call-out buzzsaw. Because if you have a bad week of call-out, you're hanging by tender hooks for two weeks. Still, there's some new songs breaking through, Ava Max, Sweet But Psycho, and a song that really kind of surprises me how quickly it's off to a good start. Kind of a brand new artist, Fletcher, uh, Undrunk. So it seems like uh, pop radio is still uh, jumping on some new songs. Uh, where's radio at this point on uh, trying to own new music discoveries? Is radio still, still hanging on to that, or at this point, is it more we play the hits? They understand the importance. It's hard to compete when you're adding a song and a half every week and someone else is sending a playlist of 30 songs. But I think that people want to own the slogan, whether they want to actually live up to it is another thing. Whether they have a viable way to live up to it is another thing. Oh, she's sweet but a psycho, a little bit psycho. At night she's screaming, I'm on my mind, I'm mind. Oh, she's hot but a psycho, so left but she's right though. At night she's screaming, I'm on my mind, I'm mind. She'll make you curse. Ava Max is an interesting case because it basically is coming at this moment of EDM ballads, and it's a song that sounds like old Lady Gaga. Yeah. Yeah, everyone here at Billboard has been, uh, a lot of people in the edit staff uh, are just having a fun flashback to, to about a decade ago and, and pleasantly surprised that, that this song is, is, is somehow working at a time when uh, tempo and, and, and hooks like that are, aren't really uh, the core sound of Top 40 Radio. 
Well, and the core sound of Top 40 Radio is not so successful that people shouldn't consider something else. The core sound of Top 40 Radio is getting a four share. The core sound of Top 40 Radio a decade ago was getting a seven share. I think we need to move forward and have records that sound like something completely new, but people are looking back at Turbo Pop and it wasn't so bad after after four years of EDM ballots. And speaking of what's hot right now and, and maybe where the trends need to go, uh, you know, one of the big things we've we talked about on this podcast really for the past year, it feels like it, it's come up, we've kind of juggled with it, the question of what to do with hip hop when it comes to pop radio. Uh, look at a recent example with like Travis Scott sicko mode, uh, actually just set the record for the longest climb to the top 10 of the pop songs chart for any hip hop hit, uh, was the number one hit on the hot 100 in December. We saw it even performed at the Grammys a few weeks ago. So still pretty active in the pop culture world. Does it seem like, you know, between hitting number one in December, turning around in February, does it feel like pop radio is getting a little better or a little closer to what they want to do with this big question of what to do with these hip-hop hits? Well, if you're if the question is, did Sicko Mode do better than it would have a year ago, a year ago it would have gotten to 15 and hit the wall. And, you know, now they can get it up to 10. They can get lucid dreams into the top 10, which is not the same as playing them when they're hot online. Uh, and in streaming, and it's you know it's top forty making a case, you know top forty making an exception for one record, for you know for other people, the discussions moved on to flip the narrow, and for you know self-respecting sixteen-year-old, the, the flip the narrow discussion was probably four months ago, and they've moved on to something else completely. Is more hip hop, Sean, uh, a recipe for better? ratings for pop radio or or is that not it figuring out what what hip-hop works i think is part of the recipe having variety and the best of everything i think is part of the recipe i think even hip-hop stations haven't figured out you know what to do with some of the spotify rap if you look at hip-hop stations, some of their ratings are still challenged, partially because hip-hop stations you know, have, you know, have the most competition from, from other choices and other ways to hear music. Right. I'm looking at Hot 97's playlist now, and Sicko Mode is still you know, the number one song there. You know, after 2,500 spins, it's still the number one song with 140 spins this week. So uh, talking hip-hop, talking uh, the artist at the moment, Ariana Grande, uh, she's been pretty vocal that she wants to release music pretty much whenever she wants, more like hip-hop acts. And uh, clearly it's working for her when you're uh, the first artist since the Beatles uh, to be numbers one, two, and three on the Hot 100 in a week. Uh, you're doing something right. But uh, is it uh, potentially problematic for a pop artist to have so many singles out at once because uh, a hip-hop act uh, might be driven by streaming? They don't really need the radio airplay, whereas uh, pop artists live a little bit more on radio success. Uh, and uh, obviously Top 40 Radio is playing a lot of Ariana, but uh, is she uh, she running into any uh, dangerous uh, ground by putting out so many singles? I think at this moment, Top 40 is happy to have all of it. Top 40 is happy to have a superstar artist. 
she's at the point where she's starting to remind me, and I don't make this comparison lightly. She's starting to remind me of Prince, not uh, you know, not around the time of Purple Rain, but maybe around the time of 1999 you know, when he was prolific and it was all good. You know, he had you know, he. he you know, he had a double album in 1999. He had half dozen side projects, and he kept putting new songs on B sides, and they were all pretty decent. You know, they were all beyond decent. So, Ariana is certainly at a point where she has become, you know, unquestionably a real artist and the superstar the top 40 has, and the consumer press superstar the top 40 needs and uh, at this point you know if too much ariana grande is a problem it's going to be solved by everybody else having more and better product does her last six months or so uh is that surprising to you sort of the, the turnaround it had not that her career was in danger of losing it but i guess with dangerous woman it didn't seem to have the same kind of consistent footing that my everything had and then you know it feels like rare that you can sort of have that stumble and then rebound and even, you know, get to higher peaks. Did you, did you, when Sweetener came out or No Tears Left to Cry, could you imagine the next six, nine months would be this massive for her? And what do you think is driving all this success? I think that, I think the moment breathing came out, uh, radio hasn't shown a lot of enterprise in going on to an album and finding the next single. So when radio went and started playing Breathing, even with God as a Woman climbing the charts, and then, um, you know, and then Thank You Next dropped on top of Breathing, I think at that moment she went to that proverbial next level. compare Ariana going all the way back to uh, Prince, uh, shot in the 80s of how uh, he was working with different artists, doing uh, uh, writing for other artists, different uh, collaborations. Uh, maybe this is, uh, seems to me, uh, similar to what uh, Justin Bieber was doing a couple years ago when uh, his album uh, did so well and then suddenly he's on Despacito and I'm the one and it sort of became uh, probably having the same discussion. Uh, is there too much uh, Justin Bieber? If Justin came out with another love yourself at this moment there is nobody who would say i got tired of him and i can't listen to him again yeah so every once in a while there's these artists who they just find that magic and there's really no too much of a good thing at least for for a while and again when we have three or four of them you know we can have 2009 2010 back anybody that you're hoping makes a big pop comeback anybody that you would expect to make one or you, you said we have you know three or four artists we can get back to sort of the pop heyday who out there are you hoping can help ariana kind of carry the load while she's really the one out here doing it all by herself right now i think the interesting thing to to watch i don't know if it's an artist or a possible movement i think it's interesting to watch what's going uh, now, um, with Panic at the Disco, if uh, if the success of High Hopes, you know, the prompts you know, the multiple singles from them, or if it helps Fall Out Boy come back you know, somewhere other than Sirius XM hits one. I think the, 
one of the things I've definitely seen is a lot of the teen punk pop rock from the 2000s starting to make a comeback. It would be interesting to see if you know, if a new band emerges that straddles top 40 and alternative that same way. You hold tight to your umbrella. Well, darling, I'm just trying to tell you that there's always been a Beyond the top 40. Uh, you were just at uh, CRS, the Country Radio Seminar in Nashville, earlier this month. Uh, I know one of the big topics that came up was uh, lack of women on country radio, and uh, it ties in so well to Casey Musgraves winning the Album of the Year Grammy for Golden Hour. And Rainbow is the new single. She she has kind of a, a spotty history at country radio, but Rainbow's off to a good start really quickly for country radio. Just hit the top 40 of the country airplay chart. Uh, is, is, is this song, do you think, uh, going to be a hit? Does it signal that maybe uh, more women might finally be back on country radio? What's, what's your overall take? I don't think it answers any question except the Casey Musgraves question. I think when... Um, I think the issue of you know of women at country you know, was extensively discussed, and I don't think anybody got to any new place with it. Um, but that that discussion is as much about Kelsey Ballerini and Marin Morris you know, and the mainstream hitmakers as it is about Casey. Casey is a couple of discussions. Um, I think the interesting thing about Rainbow is that it's being worked to a couple of formats simultaneously, and one country is out ahead of, you know, in terms of real commitment, country is out ahead of hot AC, and, you know, arguably, depending on, you know, what you count as significant airplay, out ahead of mainstream AC. Other thing I think will be interesting is that if both formats give it real support, if both pop and country give it real support, I think it will be like BB Rex and Florida Georgia Line. It will be, you know, a you know, which was you know a decent enough pop record that got top ten, that became a bigger hit on both formats because it had the support of both formats. One of the inside industry angles that came up, Sean, at CRS that I read about was maybe even some programmers were saying, well, maybe this maybe this does play in a little bit that part of why Casey hasn't been as big at country radio with, with all the Grammy success, all the overall success she has is she doesn't really in some ways maybe play the game promotionally like some artists do. She's, she's not always promoted by her label the same way a typical country artist is. Sometimes programmers – uh, just it's just easier for them to play something that's being fully promoted by an artist who, who comes and, and makes the visits as opposed to jump out on someone who uh, they're, they're not really as familiar with it, despite how big she is. Do you, do you think there's uh, some truth to that, that if they don't see her face all the time, uh, maybe they're a little less inclined to play her music? Well, there were people who said as much at CRS and there were people who very – correctly called them out and said, I thought only the record mattered. Beyond that, I think from there were such mixed signals on what was being promoted at, at country that you can understand 
maybe not agree with, but understand how some country PDs were confused as to what the label commitment was. And even at the Ryman, where they thanked everybody for playing Casey, it was not. It is so important that we get this artist, and we're so glad that you know, that we seem to be turning the corner. It was, thank you for playing Casey Musgraves. Uh, also, when it comes to Casey, I'm wondering, uh, I don't know if I sort of made this this fear up in my head, but I know that Casey Musgraves obviously um, has very much been a big supporter of the LGBT community and their culture. And for a song, you know, to have a song like Rainbow, and even though it doesn't have an overtly sort of political or social message behind it, it's obviously a universal theme. But with that kind of association and many people out there who think that the country community is socially one of the most conservative listening groups out there, does something like that, you know, even that that association, will that hinder how far a song like a song like this can go at country radio or is that just something that there's no direct association because it's not really an overtly political social song i would be surprised if that was on any country pd's mind right now i think there are you know there are so many um you know, even in follow your, even in follow your arrow, there were a lot of things going on. Um, you know, it would be poetic justice if after follow your arrow, rainbow were to become a hit, and we were to find out that the intent was not accidental. Feels very Casey Musgraves ironic. It would almost be appropriate in a way. Rainbow is one of those records, you know, like Lauren Daigle, you say, like Shallow, that you know, that fits everywhere by fitting nowhere. 95.5 ELJ playing the hits from 2K and today. The At Work Station. 95 minutes, commercial free at noon. Five minutes, commercial free at three. 95.5 Just want to ask you one more question. Uh, big uh, news here uh, in New York, but it's, uh, I think it's a pretty nationally known, I mean, internationally known station. Uh, 95.5 WPLJ radio here in New York. Uh, it was just sold to new owners that will flip it to Christian music. Uh, we're hearing uh, May or June, uh, the syndicated K-Love format. Uh, PLJ had been some form of pop radio since the early 70s. So for a lot of listeners, their entire uh, life, they've been listening to, to PLJ and now uh, suddenly going to flip to syndicated uh, Christian music. Uh, we don't hear that every day, that uh, a major market heritage station flips. Uh, I know Cumulus uh, sold it in part to pay off debt, but uh, it seemed to kind of come out of the blue. Were, were you surprised? And, and what does it mean uh, for New York radio to lose a station like this? It's probably good news for the other adult Top 40 station, WNEW. It's probably good news for Z100. It's probably good news for WKTU. Um, I'm certainly sorry to see them go. I'm sorry to see WRQX in Washington go. RQX was part of my childhood and was doing pretty well at the time the sale was announced. Uh, EMF, the people who own K-Love, you know, uh, they are a force of nature. They have been buying up stations, some of which are still successful. 
in their previous formats, and you know, it's up to New York Radio to make sure that that pop listening redistributes itself somewhere else. Has Christian radio ever been any kind of a force in New York radio? Can you predict whether whether it'll work in a market like New York? On a full signal, it will certainly have. You know, there will be a more there will be a monthly where we look up and you know we see Caleb successful in a you know beyond what what most people expected because in TBM it happened in a half dozen other markets too. You'd look up and for a couple of months it would have a seven share in Denver. Uh, in Washington D.C., WGTS, you know, the other you know, contemporary Christian station, the locally operated one, which will now be competing with Caleb, um, you know, in the early days of PPM, you know, surprised people by having you know, great months for three or four months at a time. PLJ did something interesting in. In the adult top 40 world, about four years ago, when it began playing Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys and started playing R&B, hip-hop, pop from the 90s, began playing suddenly TLC and then Vogue and Blackstreet. And you know, those songs have certainly become more of the landscape at Hot AC Radio in you know in the intervening years. So they were you know they were not the force they used to be, but they were certainly on to something. And uh, when you lose a Hot AC station in New York and you lose one in Washington, RQX uh, again uh, in Washington, uh, also part of the, the same sale, is the format in trouble? We were talking to uh, Nielsen uh, a couple months ago in the podcast and saying how. Uh, AC radio is just doing so much better uh, trend-wise, uh, a lot of it uh, from holiday music uh, really lasting uh, throughout the year, uh, spiking, but then listeners staying. Uh, Adult Top 40 uh, hasn't quite uh, been on that same level. Uh, when we lose two uh, top 10 market stations, is the format maybe a little bit in trouble or are these just two cases where the sale uh, happened? It, it's widely it's widely varied from market to market, and in New York, it's going to look better than ever. And certainly, if you count KTU as is really the hot AC for New York, um, you know it's doing pretty well. Uh, you you can't look at the ratings now. The ratings for hot AC are you know, always you know, are always at their lowest in in the wake of holiday music. Uh, in some markets, it's a three share. In some markets, it's a seven share. There are places like Cincinnati where the, where the adult top forty is handily ahead of the mainstream top forty. Chicago too. In Los Angeles, it's you know it's a pretty even battle these days between K Big and and Kiss. All right. We always love picking your brain, uh, Sean, on as many uh, different topics as we can squeeze in. So uh, thank you as always. I appreciate it, John. Okay. Thanks. The local rock group down the street is trying hard to learn their song. Serenade the weekend squire just came out Sunday, Sunday, charcoal burning everywhere. 
Rapping this week, uh, lost Peter Tork of the Monkees, uh, just beyond uh, just how fun the TV show was, the Monkees, chart history. People might not realize uh, how, how successful uh, the Monkees were on Billboard's charts at the height uh, of their popularity in the late 60s. Uh, they had four number one albums on the Billboard 200. Their first four albums all went to number one. Uh, and they had a record 31 straight weeks at number one. No one else has ever done that since. 50 years later, that's still a record set by the Monkees. Uh, and in 2016, not that long ago, uh, they had their highest charting album in about 50 years when the Good Times got to number 14. And that longevity at number one in particular, you know, this is like the height of the Beatles as well. And really like almost every other group kind of got decimated like on the charts by the Beatles. And to, to log up more than six months at number one, I mean – especially when the Fab Four and, you know, even Rolling Stones are out there, that is just goes to show, yeah, they were right on top with them. Also, uh, three Hot 100 number ones, uh, six top 10 songs. So, uh, yeah, really sad we lost uh, Peter Tork. Uh, I got to interview him a few years ago. He was at a, a convention and uh, just got a few minutes to uh, talk to him. And uh, this is what he talked about, just uh, kind of off the cuff memories of the monkeys or the, the you know the best top 10 hit we ever did was pleasant valley sunday because of the great writing of carol king and i thought we did a good job with it playing i was on the piano i did a great job with the piano and um the best music the monkeys ever did was a thing called ryu shiu and the best album we ever made overall was uh, justice and um uh, let's see what else oh and, and the best monkey well that rotates so uh, favorite song Pleasant Valley Sunday, I like his answer. Uh, favorite monkey, it changes, R- rotates. It's a, a diplomatic answer. Uh, also on the podcast, we had Mickey Dolans. Uh, he was on a couple years ago. And same thing, we talked about uh, the legacy of the monkeys, uh, the history of the band, what, what he uh, found most fun about it. Asked him, uh, what part did he like the most? Well, I liked all of it. I mean, it, it was incredibly exciting. And, you know, I approached it as a... As an entertainer, um, I knew that the, it was going to require uh, singing and playing because at the audition you had to be able to sing and, and play an instrument to get in the audition, right. to get through the auditions. And my audition piece, for example, was Johnny Be Good because uh, I played acoustic guitar and uh, and uh, folk. Well, started with uh, classical guitar, you know, Segovia kind of stuff, and as a kid, and then morphed into. Um, uh, folk music uh, in the early 60s, and then that morphed into rock and roll. And like I say, I, so I knew the show was more than just about acting, but I was a singer. My parents had, were both singers. They were both in the business. So, you know, I I, I can't say I liked one bit more than the other. I, w- I would say I was probably more comfortable on the television set because I'd already done it. I'd already had a, a TV series as a kid uh, called Circus Boy. Right, right. And and the same studio, in fact, and shot parts of it in the same uh, soundstage. Yeah. When I when I showed up on the uh, at the Columbia Screen Gems lot, uh, you know, to start working on the series, it was the same guy at the gate that had <laughs> ten years earlier known me as Mickey Braddock and Circus Boy. So I I'm a, I was probably more comfortable just because I was familiar with it, right. uh, the process. And I was not as familiar with the process of recording yet. Um, but I do remember uh, li- li- liking it all. I mean, how can you not when you, 
you're selling all those records and you're getting that incredible reaction. Mickey Dolan's on the Billboard Sharpie podcast, uh, remembering Peter Tork this week. Uh, so I want to close with uh, three songs I think really uh, uh, show uh, different eras and uh, different talents of Peter Tork. Uh, one was this song. Uh, maybe people don't realize maybe the most famous piece of monkey's music and Peter Tork is responsible for this instrumental. So the intro to Daydream Believer, Peter Torx. People might uh, obviously remember Davy Jones' vocal, but he's the one uh, with that intro. That's... Ah, uh, still holds up. Such a great song. Uh, uh, 1986. The, this was one of the first Monkees songs I actually knew because uh, uh, sort of uh, getting into music then. But uh, they had a comeback in 1986 and they got back to the top 20 after uh, all those years uh, away. And uh, this song, Clive Davis himself picked it to be their comeback single. And at the time, uh, it was just Peter Tork and Mickey Dolans. They they were the Monkees at that point in 1986. Yeah, top 20 hit for That Was Then, This Is Now. Had a pick and uh, wrap things up here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast with a song that features Peter Tork's vocals. Again, it was uh, obviously uh, Davy Jones, kind of known as, as the main uh, front vocalist, but uh, Shades of Grey, not not a hit single, just a, a key album cut for Monkees fans. So uh, Peter Tork on vocals on that song. So we'll wrap with that. Uh, remembering Peter Tork, Shades of Grey on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.